0: Well, uh, last week uh, I sounded very emotional. This week I sound uh, like I have a smoker's kind of a nightclub kind of voice. So uh, I lost my voice in between, so we're we're good right now. So I think we'll be fine. I thought about maybe taking up maybe kind of a Dean Martin kind of a nightclub kind of deal with my deeper voice, but I don't think I'll do that. Well, good morning. I am always very excited about what is going on with us. And I still say the the direction of the men of First Baptist is the direction of First Baptist. And so where we go individually, where we go corporately together, is going to be a gigantic factor. Um, In fact, let me uh, just, uh, even to start this uh, morning off, let me read a passage from Ezekiel 22.30. And it says this, I looked for a man, not even men, just a man, among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Oftentimes God needs a man, needs an individual who will stand up in the gap when the evil comes, when the parting of the, of the battle takes place, that a man would fill that gap and he would step into that. And so uh, men, as we come together, one of the great parts of us together is not that we're individuals trying to do this, but we get to do this together and that we can fill that gap. We're going to talk about unpacking this morning. And so as we look at this unpacking, as we start this idea of unpacking, one of the critical steps we talked about last week was the idea of, un- of looking back at our lives. And I hope you've taken a little bit of time already. On page 92 and 94 of your workbook there, we looked at that briefly last week, but that's kind of your help. That's, your, in a sense, your assignment it's the thing we're starting to work on right now. We're starting to get this un- un- unfolded before us. And so we're going to look back. On page 92 through 94, I gave you some uh, goals or some areas. Like December, you have kind of a goal to get some stuff done by December. And then in January and early February, we'll finish. And then by the end of it all, we'll finish some the rest of the assignment. But it's going to give us some plans. Let me give you a couple, a couple hints. If you can take a Saturday morning and maybe not go to the golf course, or not do maybe some things that on Saturday morning you do. But if you take a Saturday morning and you would go, I call it cave time. It's, it's to get by myself, uh, no interruptions. Now, for me, that is Panera Bread. I have free Wi-Fi there, but I don't even get online, which is funny. I just go there and I hide. And when I get there, I get with my Bible, I get my priorities of life, I get my to-do list, and I figure out kind of where I'm going. Uh, here's my plan long-term but today, how am I getting there? What's, what am I doing along the way? And so I suggest taking a, a, a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon, miss a football game, and get by yourself. Have some cave time. If you find that harder, you need some accountability, and grab somebody at your table and say, hey, would you hold me accountable? Will you help me with this? Would you give a phone call to me? Or will you go with me? And we can work individually on this, but take a couple hours to make this start happening and to start looking back. This unpacking becomes a very important part I brought a suitcase with me, and everyone carries a luggage or a suitcase with them in life. We're going to take time to unpack this suitcase. Fortunately, we don't have to do it in front of everyone. What we get to do, though, is get to unfold it at a table. And as we get to know one another around our tables, we'll un- unpackage this stuff. We'll unfold this stuff. We'll take some stuff out of our suitcases of our life, and we'll start dealing with it. To get started, though, I, I need a little quiz here. And so I've asked Mark to come back up, and he is going to give us a... Uh, a quiz. It's a, done by Dave Barry, and it's from a book called A Guide to Guys, and this is a guy factor quiz. This is a guy factor quiz. So, Mr. Palmer, take it away. You. There you have your, your guy quota this morning. Thank you, Mark. I just wanted to hear Mark say pee-pee, and so uh, we did all that just to hear him say that. The, the uh... Thank you, Mark. And so I'm not sure where you are with your guy factor Uh, We're excited, though, that you're here this morning. Again, thank you for the effort. If you have a a friend at your table that was not able to be here, make sure. I think we have this. Eric will have this on iPod, uh, on podcast, I mean. And uh, you can uh, kind of connect the two things together. Sorry about that. On podcast, and you can get those uh, tapes for them. Uh, Also, uh, share with them personally what you've learned this morning or some things that you've gotten. So give them a call and encourage them to continue connecting. Uh, Let me summarize uh, quickly some reasons why men struggle today. We've looked a a bit of this, so let me go a little bit further into this because I think there are some of us that struggle with how do we unpack, how do we deal with what do we struggle with? Some of it has to do with social changes. One area of social change was the Industrial Revolution. In the Industrial Revolution, when it swept over through the eighteenth and nineteenth century in America, it, it turned for the first time in mass gave us distinct fathering. For the first time, father left home, went to the factory, went to the office, and during the best hours of his day, he was gone. No longer was the son and the father working together in the fields. No longer did you see the dad modeling masculinity together with the son. No longer did the best day hours of the dad get that connection. Mentoring was now regulated to the woman, to the women of the world. The strong social and emotional bonding that took place between father and son was severed to some degree. My dad saw this, and in my family, my dad said, this is what I need to do. Us four mutton boys all went to work with dad. My dad was a construction worker. He was a boilermaker, and so as a welder, as a boilermaker, he was kind of a man's man. So what my dad said, he said, come to work with me. And so two of my brothers got to actually work summers with my dad as a boilermaker, and so he, they watched him all summer long. I only got to go a few times with my dad. But when I went with my dad, I saw a man's man, a man who was not... Uh, uh, in any way cruel. it was never a man of of foul language. was never a man who did wrong. And I saw him walk into a man's field, a place that the only thing you know about boilermakers is there is a drink, a hard liquor drink named after him, and there's a football team named after him for right reasons. These men are tough men. But when my dad walked in, the men of that work would stop cussing the men of that place would start talking to Dad. When the men of that work would have their difficult times, they would know exactly who to go to, and they would go to Dad. Because Dad modeled. Dad showed what it looked like to be a Christian man in the midst of the tough environment. And so when I went to work with my dad, I got to be proud of my dad. I got to see my dad at work and what he did during the day. Another social change that took place was World War II. Yes, World War II created a generation of strong, courageous, heroic men but it also created a place when they returned that they didn't know how to deal with the feelings of the, of the things they have just gone through. And it created a, dis, a generation of disconnect between fathers and sons oftentimes. If you are men that are my age, I'm 45, or older, then you possibly grew up with a with a World War II veteran. You might have grown up younger and had maybe a Vietnam or a Korean War veteran, but oftentimes this emotional connection was gone from your dad and that ability to connect with you was severed from from them to be able to connect with you. Some of the social changes had to do with the gender revolution. The gender revolution started in the 60s and 70s and still goes on today. This revolution redefined and expanded the world of a woman, but oftentimes downsized and even gutted the world of a man. Today we find ourselves asking, so what is a man? What does a man do? What is his role, especially in relationship with a woman? Men's role are in confusion today. You look at television, you look at TV, you look at movies, and you see these strong superhero ladies, and you see the weak, needy man. And so the warrior has been drained out of the men. There's no idea of what it means to defend and what we're fighting for any longer. I like Pastor Greg's example that he gives to us every so often. He says, a buck, us men, don't want to fight with a doe. There's nothing to win. And so in a family sometimes when we see those things and we see the doe fighting with the buck, the buck just retreats and pulls away. Some of this has to do with family dynamics. And so the industrial revolution, the gender revolution, and then family dynamics. Last week I talked about my story, but every man here has a story, and your story is important. You may have grown up with two parents or one parent or even no parents at all. Maybe an aunt or a grandparent or step-parent or maybe in the state raised you. Whatever your family circumstance, it has a huge impact on who you are today. And so you need to understand that. Maybe you come from a loving home, a home that was engaged, that went to your ball games, that did things with you, but it lacked direction. It had a road map, but the road map only was local it had no no long distance plan of where you were going and so in a a sense you didn't understand where you were going and so it lacked long term direction it's like being in the family car and driving and being in that car and you're going somewhere and you say dad when are we going to get there I don't know dad where are we going I don't know sit back there and be quiet use the pop bottle if you need to be quiet we're not stopping. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. And so you have this sense of going somewhere but no understanding of where. And so in this kind of a family, they, your, your parents might have attended your ball games and may have attended and been involved in your homework. But when it got to the tougher questions of life, how many of you were taught your sons in this kind of a family what it means to be a man? How many were taught in this kind of family how to relate to a woman or how to date or how to interact with the opposite sex? or What does it mean for a son's role in a marriage? And before you got married, you had those discussions and you had those, those, uh, that involvement. You had meaningful male communication. And so oftentimes we attend the ball games. We attend we're involved, but we never really got to. Those are simply the tools, the mechanisms to get us to the meaningful conversation. They're the excuses for relationships. Some of you grew up in families where favoritism was part of your family. And it has hurt your family. It has hurt you. You try to play it off, you try to shrug it off, but it affects everything you, you do today. Some of you grew up in unholy alliances where your dad maybe left and your mom married you. Maybe you were in the middle of marital strife and you became the peacemaker between the two when they should have been the parents and they should have been the adults. You had to step in with an unholy alliance. Some of you grew up with abuse or betrayal and abandonment or maybe just a poor manhood modeling Maybe nothing was wrong, but your father gave you no guidance, gave you nothing, no example. For years, I worked in a troubled teen's home. I worked with the famous and the not-so-famous. I worked with people who grew in Christian homes and people out of Christian homes. And in all of that, I was always found that the family dynamics played a gigantic part in that kid's life. And so it is with us also. I understand our family dynamics that helps us to know the changes and adjustments needed to give us to become free, to have freedom and to be an authentic man. Family dynamics even more readily boils down to our relationship with our dad, very specifically. U.S. News and World Report on February 27, 1995, a secular magazine said this, Dad is destiny. More than virtually any other factor, a biological father, president of the family, determines a child's success, and happiness. Now let me take this off of just dad. I think men have this kind of a role. It may be you are an uncle, and so it may be a nephew. It may be you are a student worker, and you're involved in the youth department, the student department, and you're involved in that. Maybe you're involved with, with young children in some way of growing them up, maybe a, a, a mentoring kind of a group. Whatever that involvement, this presence of dad, but biologically your dad had a gigantic involvement, but so often what we find is that dad is AWOL. Men, your value to a church, your value to your family, your value to your jobs, your value to society cannot be marginalized. Your presence there alone is important, and you play a huge factor in life. I have learned this about men. I've learned this about coaches first, and it relates to men. I have learned there's two kinds of coaches. Two kinds of coaches. There's good coaches and there's bad coaches. From good coaches, you learn how to do it. From bad coaches, you learn how not to do it. And so for both of those, no matter which example you have, same is true for us with dads. We had good dads and we had bad dads. We had dads we should learn to model from and dads we should learn not to model from. We had some of dads that had both of those traits within them. Some things we should model and some things we should not. Authentic manhood revolves around three critical issues, three critical issues, we'll spend a majority of the time on, the, on uh, the first one, addressing the unfinished business of our past, addressing the unfinished business of our past. Here what I'm going to say. This is not a blaming the past. This is not a blame game. This is an understanding game. We can keep what we need and we can change what needs to be changed. We look back, we unpack, so we can keep the things we need to keep and we can get rid of the things we need to get rid of. So I came here with a suitcase today. Inside of this, there are some things that are about a journey in life. This journey, as we unpack this, will determine the unfinished business. The unfinished business is in this suitcase or the manhood wounds the things that we have not resolved, the things we have not completely solved yet. We've we got things in here. Some of our suitcases are larger. Some of those are like the suitcases we took to camp. They're the big old trunks. And for some of us, they're, they're backpacks. For none of us, they are fanny packs. There's no fanny packs here, okay? Nobody, nobody has a fanny pack here, okay? We all have a suitcase, a backpack. We have back, things that need to be unfinished business, that need to be taken care of. Let me define what wounds is. A wound is this. Any unresolved issue where lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and dynamics of a man's life. There's some blanks there, and this is what goes in those. Any unresolved, if it's not finished, good or bad, if we've never resolved it, issues that lack closure and adversely impact the shapes, the direction. Some of you had successes but don't know what to do with the successes. And and it impacts, the shapes, the direction of the dynamics of your life. Some of you have had uh, failures, but you've never looked at that and understood how that shapes the direction of your life. Almost 20 years ago, I lost an eye. Every day, I am aware of that physical disability. Now, the problem, though, is we see physical problems, we solve those, we can deal with those. They leave scars behind. But the deepest scars are not physical. No, the deepest scars are the wounds of the heart because oftentimes they never get dealt with. Here's what I have found, that we men are pretty fragile. Our egos and who we are are pretty fragile. The deepest wounds are the wounds of our soul, of the things that hurt from here. They, inflict, they were inflicted maybe from outside of us, circumstances that were, that were perpetrated on you. Some of us made those decisions and did things we shouldn't have done and failures that we have, we have done. So whether they were done upon you or you did them by your own choosing, it doesn't matter. Those wounds need to be dealt with. Maybe they're just simply words. Nothing done to you, nothing you did. They were words spoken that you wish you could retrieve. Maybe the words that were spoken upon you. you thought through those over and over and the tape of your mind repeats those words back to you every time something happens. See, you never will make it. You never will be anything. You'll never be who you need to be. And you repeat those words and those things back through your mind. We may try to put a lid on these feelings. What we find is this pressure of this lid oftentimes spews out and pops out. And anybody around us gets the anger or gets the venom or gets the the boil over mess of our lives. We might compensate for the lid by using coping mechanisms, we might use chemicals or drugs or alcohol or maybe pleasurable experiences. We might go to sexual things or pornography or other things to offset these feelings that we don't know how to deal with. Let me share with you five common wounds. The absent father wound. I think all of us desire to have a number one dad. Dad. We desire that, that they be number one. We're going to listen to two songs, and one's going to be from the uh, early 1970s. And as we have this song, the words are going to be here for us. And we're going to hear what happens sometimes, what our desire for this, but the miss on this sometimes. Is the song coming on? Sounds like me this morning kind of has a far away sound. That's okay. We'll read those words right there. And can we, let's go to the second song. Can we, Let's have that one ready here in a second. So the 1970s was... Um, and actually, I guess both of these are this. You have this one up here? Uh, no, no, the Cats in the Cradle. The Silver... Uh, you have that one? Put the put the Cats in the Cradle one back up there. Uh, my, sir, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but a smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man of the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll get together then. We'll have a good time then. It's the 1970s, more than 20, 25 years later. Now what you'll hear is an anger in a a situation going on that's different. The words, they say the same thing. That's good. Pull, pull back those words just for a second. I'm going to read these. There's a set of lines here. Now, there's two versions of this song. This is actually an acoustic version of it. I wanted you to hear the, the, kind of the rage that was coming out. This is a, a present song, a band called Ever, Everclear. And the, the rage of this, you may think that 9, 2006, we'd be better along. We'd learn how to be uh, better parents and dads. But here's listen to these words. I will never be safe. I will never be sane. I will always be weird inside. I will always be lame. Now I'm a grown man with a child of my own and I swear I'm not going to let her, uh, her know all the pain that I've known. Father of mine, tell me where you have been. I just closed my eyes and the world disappears. Father of mine, tell me how, how do you sleep with the children you abandoned and the wife I saw you beat. And so this man deals with these things and in the 21st century we have come no further along and the anger's still there. The, the missed dad is still there. We desire that there would be a number one dad in our lives. The second, I think, issue is the overbonded with mother wound. (laughs) Now, the humor is definitely there, but oftentimes what has happened is that we have been put on an apron. We have had, in a sense, mom probably didn't mean anything by it. She didn't know how to deal with it. Maybe she was just compensating for dad being gone, but she's overly bonded with you. And so a lot of our humor for just about Raymond is dealing with this very subject matter. We laugh about it because we don't know how else to deal with it. And so we see how silly in some ways it looks like, but when we see men like that, there's oftentimes two responses that occurs. I will never let a woman dominate me. I will never let anything control me. And so there's an anger that comes through that at that point in time. And so that control we fight against We have problems every time a lady comes near or someone who's dominant comes around us. Or else we succumb to the control. We become a little bit like Raymond. We don't know how to deal with mom. So we have a wife who resents us because we have no boundaries and have no abilities they know to mom any longer. We don't know why. We just simply know we're overbonded. Then there's a third wound. It's called the all alone wound. The all alone wound is dealing with the idea that we all have a mountain to climb. That God wants us to get on this mountain. He wants us to go for what it means to be an authentic man. Now to be an authentic man, oftentimes what we need with that is that we don't mountain climb. We don't go up a mountain by ourselves. But we need someone who is dealing with the belay system with us. But oftentimes what we find is there's nobody on the other end of the rope. We're climbing up a mountain. We have the rope and the belay system with us. It's all there, but we find our rope is rather fragile. It's all frayed up. It's not connected. Nobody's on the other end. There's no connection with other men that's there. And so we find ourselves all alone. The rope's been cut. We have, no, we have relationships with people, but no deep relationship. No one to champion us when we do right things and be our hero, our champion, and say, what you did was right. That was good. Thanks for doing that. Man, do you know what you look like when you do that? That is so cool. That is so unbelievable. Keep doing that. We have no one to say our blind spots in our lives. You know, Bill, you know, he's got some problems. I don't know why he doesn't see him. But we're not safe enough to let anyone into our lives to see those blind spots and say, you have issues and things going on in your life. Have you ever noticed that every time you're in this situation, this occurs? Have you ever noticed that whenever someone tells you what to do, that you recoil against it and do the opposite? Do you see the blind spot in your life? Oftentimes, this, this is reflected with a lack of mentors in our life. I've had three unbelievable mentors in my life. Each one of these guys, I have personally asked, could I follow you? Could I meet with you? Could I be with you? Could I spend time? One was my youth minister, a guy named Kenny Griffith. And Kenny was a guy who was a little bit further down the road than me. And Kenny, when I saw him, I said, that's an authentic Christian. That guy's going to a place I want to go. Can I go with you? Kenny said, sure. So he'd take me out to A&W at lunchtime. And we'd sit together for half an hour, and we'd visit, sometimes about important things, sometimes about just life. But I remember watching him. He doesn't know how closely I was probably watching him. And I modeled what I saw him doing. Richard Beach, I saw a guy who loved life. He was bigger than life. He was gregarious. He was outgoing. I said, I want that. I sometimes feel very shy. I moved a lot. I, I sometimes feel very reserved. I don't know how to do that. But I see something. I see an authentic Christian who's, who could lead people to Christ by walking in a restaurant, sitting down, and starting to talk to a waitress and getting into that waitress life. And that waitress, before you knew it, say, hey, by the way, are you a minister? Could I share something with you? And before you know it, we're counseling, and talking, and leading that, that lady to Christ. And he had an ability just to connect with people. And I said, I want that. That looks real. And then I saw Will Wyatt. Will had a balance in life. He was older than me. He was ahead of me. He was where I wanted to be. And I said, Will, can I sit with you? Can I go to a a Branson cafe? Could I sit down and eat rye, dry, white, rye toast? There's a white guy every time we wait there. Dry rye toast. And he makes some joke about it every time. And we'd sit there and we'd talk about the balance of life, what it means to grow older and what it looks like. And we need people like that in our lives. We need people on our belay system, someone who is going to protect us from falling someone who knows our inward workings, who knows where we're going. When they see us out of balance, they can grab a hold and say, slow down, you're going to fall. So what happens in all all alone world is we both lose oftentimes. Not only does the person who is on, who has the rope, but also the person who has the privilege of belaying you, the person who's on the other end of the rope and watching that. The next one is the lack of manhood vision wound. The lack of manhood vision wound So we find ourselves playing a ball game, and we're throwing the ball, and we're catching it. We decided that life is too slow. we've got to get going, we've got to get someplace. We've been told all our life, you've got to be the warrior." And so we run off with one part of the man of authentic manhood. We ran off with him and we try to play the game, and we throw the ball, and we catch it, we throw the ball and catch it, 20 and thirty years later, finding out that the game was supposed to be played with others. And we've been looking back and we say, Wait a second, I've gotten everywhere corporately. I've made all the money, but I, got, I have nobody with me. Where's the team? Where's, where's, I have no vision. I didn't see what the game was all about. I didn't understand what life was all about. I didn't understand that I could be connected to my God, that I could be connected to men. I didn't see where I was going. I had no plan. It was short-sighted. Yeah, I could throw the ball up for a while, but that wasn't the game. And so I find myself conquering mountains. I find my go- myself going places, only to find out that there, I've missed the purpose of it behind me. And so we create this great wound. We have no vision, and so we have a we miss out on a noble masculinity, and we miss that. And so, oftentimes, it's the all alone wound, the lack of a uh, manhood vision wound. Jim Ryan said this. He just broken the four-minute mile. His dad was fairly disconnected dis- from his life. He started running because he could do nothing else. He was kind of a misfit in life. If you read his story, you'll, you'll verify this story. I think it's uh, called uh, Running for Gold. I think maybe this is the name of the book. It's, that's pretty close to it. But it's a, a story of his life. And Jim Ryan, as an awkward teenager, could not shoot a basketball, could not throw a football, could not do those things, but he could do one thing. He could run. And so he thought, well, what I'll do is I'll run. If I run, then people will acknowledge me as a man. Then if I run, people will see all that I am. And so he ran, and he was a good runner. He was the youngest person to ever break the four-minute mile. He set the world record at the youngest age ever at the time. And as he set that record, he said, "He stood on the podium. I had just broken all the records. I had accomplished what I thought what I was supposed to accomplish. And I sat there with people asking me questions, people from all over the world. I was on top of the world. And he said, I was empty inside. There was nothing there. I said, this is it? This is what I was shooting for? This was the vision? This is it? There's nothing more? I'm 20 and I'm done? There's nothing more. So lack of vision. And finally, I want to mention to you one last one. You may not have related any of those four, but this wound is the wound of the heart. This is not a wound of nurturing. This is a wound of nature. This is what all of us have. Since the beginning of time, all of us as men have a fractured heart. It's nothing I can really put into a suitcase. It belongs in here. And it is the breaking between me and my God. It is this, I have, have you ever been, in fact, just think through this, have you ever been in moments in your life where you just sat back and said to yourself, why do I find myself at times doing the things I don't want to do, that I know are wrong?" Why do I keep investing myself in things that I know are going to hurt me and my family and yet keep doing it? Why do I get out of control? Why can't I do the things I want to do that are right? Why do, I get, why do I give in to temptation and give in to anger? Why do I isolate myself? Why is it these things I know are right, I know would help everyone, I can't find the power to do? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Well, those questions of the heart those questions of this, of this term that we are using, the heart, the wounded heart, is going to take something much greater than us. It's going to take me something greater than just looking back. We'll talk about that greatest need that we have much more in detail here in the upcoming weeks. What solves the broken heart? What solves this disconnected heart? The wound of the soul and the spirit. So here we have it. We have five things in our suitcase. Maybe you have another area, maybe something else that you could pull out of there. But you have the father wound. You have the oldly bonded with mother wound. Some of us have just the all alone wound. Some of us can't see. We live for a weekend. We can't see any further than that. And all of us have a wounded heart in our suitcase. So the first issue, an authentic man who is addressing the unfinished business, the unfinished business, the wounds of our heart, is to address those. We're going to get in the boat here in the next few weeks. Now this boat is going to be very important that as you get into this boat that you don't get out of the boat. The boat is your table and the group of men that are at your table. The boat is going down a Whitewater Rapids. And as you go down the Whitewater Rapids, it's been fairly calm right now. It's been fairly easy in some ways. But we're getting ready to hit the rapids. And as we hit the rapids, some of you are going to hit some boulders and go to sling you across the boat and you need some men to catch you. You need some men to help you out with that. Some of you are going to be rocking and getting all wet and doused with the spray. But what we need is we also need all of us in the boat rowing with the, with the oars because up ahead is a waterfall. Up ahead is disaster coming. And if any of us jump out of the boat, then that boat is that much less able to miss the disaster. You're important at your table. You're important as a man. You're important to share your need and also to receive and hear that need from someone else. You may be the one who can help pour the oars. Uh, you may be the one that sees the guy flying across and catches him as he, as he gets knocked by the rocks. But you're getting ready to come through this. So for the next few weeks, there's going to be some aspects. and We're going to look at some unfinished business. It will not be the nicest part, but about January, we're going to have some great stuff coming. Remember, there's three parts to this. The next part is where we establish a, a clear and compelling manhood vision. In January, we're going to start working through this clear Man of vision. And since we're going to unpack this, and the need for this to unpack is so we can put new things in. So we take new things on our journey. As we unpack these things and get rid of this, we make room to put the things we need in here. Because some of our lives are so filled with the unfinished business, there's no room for the good stuff. God wants to give us something way greater than a wounded heart. He wants to give us a courageous heart. He wants to do something for us to be all alone. He wants to have a team of men. He wants wants an army of men walking with him and he wants us to pack this back together and put this back. And finally, the third part is we're going to come up with a workable plan for your life. So when you walk away, and so in March what we'll do is we'll walk away all together with a workable plan. We will not stop in 24 weeks. That's just the beginning. We get at that point go on with this with a compelling understanding of where we've been and where we're going for life. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much that you love us. And as we unpack and look back and as we do those things, Father, I pray that we would not get out of the boat. Father, for some, that's going to be difficult. There's some things that really just, even as we talk about this, it just floods of memories and thoughts come back. And, Father, we don't even know how to deal with those things. And so, Father, would you do something that only you can do? Father, would you help us reach into that suitcase and pull some things out? Father, would you help us not just get them out, but would you help us just throw them away and to really deal with them? Would you let forgiveness be so great in our lives that it is as if it happened to someone else? We can tell the story in the future. We can talk about that. But it's so healed that it's almost as if it happened to someone else. And so, Father, in the days ahead, let us walk with one another arm in arm. Let us be on the other end of that rope. And let us help one another. Let us not let us crash to the bottom in a heap. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.